This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexo series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, feel your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, we're hearing a lot uh, of this phrase or this term or whatever you want to call it, of servant leadership but what does that look like what does that sound like well we have a fantastic guest here for you on the show today he is the leadership coach omar l harris and he is the author of the servant leaders manifesto omar how's it going brother very happy to be here thanks a lot for having me no worries no worries uh, amen so before we kind of hop into what you do in the book and everything just kind of share your origin story if you don't mind good sir yes yeah, so i was uh i was uh, i'm a guy from pittsburgh mm-hmm. um who uh whose uh, parents, my mother uh, uh, was a social worker for much of my life, and then she turned into an early childhood educator. My father uh, was a chemical engineer, turned environmental engineer later on in his career. And I moved around the U.S. a bunch um, in my youth from from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Charleston, West Virginia, and went to junior high high school in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, I went to school at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from there, got my MBA. And I joined, I, I matriculated into the pharmaceutical industry where I spent the past 20 years working in the U.S., uh, Southeast Asia, Middle East, and Latin America um, extensively. And over that time period, I also was able to uh, invest in my passion of writing. And so I published four books to date, one right. fiction novel and three nonfiction books, uh, of which the Server Leaders Manifesto is the most recent of those books. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, really, I, I, my whole, my, as I've gone through my journey, I've really realized the importance, more and more, the importance of, of changing the status quo of leadership and being a people-oriented leader and someone who gets the most out of people so they can have their most, uh, live their best lives when it comes to work because we spend over a third of our lives at work and it shouldn't be such a drag. Got you, got you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, talk about your your love of writing a little bit. You know, you, you talked about writing three nonfiction books and a fiction book. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Where that comes from, man? Yeah, I think um, I just had the natural talent, and my my parents really invested in that when I was younger, and, and really encouraged. I used to read. You know, I, I uh, read a lot as a kid. Um, I think I read The Hobbit when I was four or five years old. Mm-hmm. And um, really, always always read copiously, and that that love of writing turned into a love of language, which turned into a love of of writing. So I think it was a natural progression for me from reading to to language to writing. And um, I took a creative writing class while I was in college, and that really sparked my my desire to write this fiction novel, One Blood, which I published in 2011. Mm-hmm. And and then from there, you know, been off to the races. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. Also, kind of talk about your experience uh, at HBCU. I, I know a lot of uh, people who are thinking about making those uh, college choices here uh, coming up pretty soon, and they're trying to figure out if they want to go, uh, you know, to a HBCU or to uh, uh, another college. Kind of talk about your experience at FAMU a little bit, if you don't mind. Oh, FAMU was amazing. You know, I, I spent the majority of my upbringing was uh, was it mostly in, in predominantly white schools gotcha and getting the opportunity to go to college at a formative age you know 18 to 25 and spend that time 
at an HBCU, it's really where you begin to hone your identity, right? Right. Get in touch with your culture and really understand, you know, really embrace your blackness, I guess is what I would say. For sure. And and really and really and really understand that that, that is it is a beautiful thing to be who we are and 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 that we have uh, extreme value to offer to the world. Um, should we take it seriously and really try to maximize our potential? So I think that my time at Florida A and M just really built me up, built up my confidence so that I could deal with the corporate world when I got into it later on. I hear that. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Uh, so I want to ask you this. Let's just kind of hop into the book, man. The Servant Leaders Manifesto and Startup Nation. If you want to purchase that book, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast, man, what kind of prompted you writing this book, man? You talked earlier about like, you know, redefining or or people having a, a not the, maybe not the proper conception or misconception about leadership. Kind of talk about the uh, what prompted you writing this one. Well, I mean, I've been I've been an, an advocate for for higher employee engagement since I became a manager myself back in 2006. Right, and I really wanted to be a different kind of leader for my people, and I wanted to be someone who was inspiring, someone who uh, who helped develop the strengths of my my teammates and 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 drove them in that way. And I think on my journey, um, you know, what I realized is that you know. I could see the difference between my leadership style and the leadership styles of my peers and those around me, even senior leaders. And I, I began to rub up against this, this conflict, mm. which was, you know, um, the how of achieving results. So, you know, what I was seeing was that a lot of, in a lot of companies, it's about ego driven, me, 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 boss type leadership. And I right. began seeing this whole movement towards everybody wants to be a boss and <laughs> actually, right. The, the the boss archetype is the least way to engage people. And so I, I ran away from the boss archetype. I ran out, I said, I don't want to be called a boss. I don't want to be anyone boss. I want to be someone who serves and supports my people and helps get the most out of them. And so I began applying what I'd learned from reading, you know, all the leadership books that everybody reads, you know, John C. Maxwell and Pat Lencioni and all these, all these, uh, you know, well-known uh, leadership gurus. Right. And that turned into my first book, uh, Leaderboard the DNA of High Performer Team, because I saw that it was a gigantic gap between the theories that they were talking about in their books and practical application in the day-to-day. When the book came out, one of the things that the, the audience of the book um, that was uh, digesting the book were saying to me was, well, talk more about servant leadership, because that's the key to, to, to creating high-performance teams in the way that I described in in leaderboard is this this mindset and this and these behaviors of a servant leader. So I realized that I had to go back in and, and really make a strong argument for servant leadership, especially for young leaders coming up today, that this is the best way to engage what I'm calling the most diverse workforce in history. I mean, right, right. now in 2020, for the first time in history, you have four generations working together, you know, yep. Zoomers and Boomers, right? Mm-hmm. Working in the same, same companies, you have different ethnicities, different races, different nationalities, different sexual orientations for the first time ever. And no one's being taught how to manage and lead that type of diversity. Right. It's not just enough to have diversity in a company, yet to know how to get the most out of it. And certain leadership principles will allow anyone to be able to tap into that diversity and truly extract the benefit of difference that you get when you when you have these diverse teams. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. No, you're absolutely right. We're definitely in, uh, you know, I, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, you know, you, like you said, I believe that's what you said. I'm sorry. Uh, I, is one of the times in history that's never happened before. You had so many people in, uh, you know, um, in the workforce with, you know, so diverse from boomers to zoomers, like you said, you know, kind of exactly. talk. Yeah, for exactly. sure. I, I want to ask you this, you know, kind of talk about, you know, cause in your book, you talk about the three kind of these three eras of, you know, leadership where you talk about like civil war and war, then up until world war one, world war two, kind of talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it occurred to me, um, as I was writing the book that one of the issues that we're facing is the fact that, the demographic of the workforce has dramatically changed. The way work is done has dramatically changed, but the principles of leadership have not have not kept up with the times. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you go back to post, you know, Civil War, Industrial Revolution, um, in those times, you're thinking about men, mostly men, almost all all white men who were migrating from the farms to the cities, right. doing specialized work in assembly line processes. 
And in that particular uh, environment, the top-down hierarchy, that kind of supervision, um, uh, a, a, a setup in the company based on a military hierarchy made sense. So that was because that was what the, the men knew, and that's what the leaders knew. Because most people had at some some level between the Civil War and uh, World War One had some level of military experience. So they're just right. using the lowest common denominator to connect with the workforce, and that and that was really something people could identify with. But as you move forward throughout time, you got to a place where um, collaboration began to become more important. Like when you look at the John F. Kennedy space race, right? Right. You couldn't command and control your way to the moon. You had to learn how to collaborate, use technology, and and um, get the most out of people to out of groups of people to 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 achieve that 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 particular goal. So the the type of leadership began to began to shift um, as technology and collaboration became became more prevalent. And then we moved into the technological technological era where um, the individual brilliance was replaced by group brilliance, the need for more collaboration, need for better use of technology. And it was at this point that leadership really stalled out mm-hmm. um, and where leaders were still still utilizing uh, techniques that were popular in the 50s and 60s. And they didn't really evolve to what everyone, every thought leader has been talking about for the last 30 years, which is positive psychology versus weakness fixing and uh, teams versus individual brilliance. And, you know, these things are and, and, and humble leadership versus toxic leadership. These are not new ideas that I came up with. These are things that have been spouted since the early nineties, but but for some reason corporate leadership has not caught on simply because of this move towards the boss archetype. Mm. So people want to be the boss because they want to be in control, they want to be in charge, they want the accolades to come to themselves. And the more that we see that boss archetype, the more we see people disengaging with their lives and with work. Gotcha. So the boss is opposite of engagement. And so now we're in what I call leadership 3.0, which is where we really have to eradicate the ego from leadership. We have to get rid of the boss title altogether and focus on leaders who truly are invested in serving, supporting, and developing their people all in service of achieving the overall mission of the organization. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, for sharing that. Now, I, I definitely agree with you as far as like that whole boss archetype. L- let me ask you this, a follow up to that. You know, do you think that came on the heels of like, you know, uh, with like, you know, people just trying to like boost profits? Do you think that boss archetype came in in the era of people trying to be influencers and social media to kind of like, you know, to have like that ego driven type leadership? Where do you think that really kind of kind of, I guess, blossom, if you don't mind? I think it started in the 90s when when you, we saw two kind of trends. We saw the birth of reality TV. So basically, gotcha. regular people becoming stars. Right. And, <laughs> right. Um, and then, you also had, then, you, then you also had the first uh, internet startups, basically. So regular people building billion-dollar companies out of their garage, right? So from the 80s and 90s. So you saw these, you know, these, type, these two phenomena, which were, which were both – um, triggered by an advance in technology, access to cable television, things of that nature, those two things made it much more uh, ideal to look out for yourself mm. as opposed to be a great leader and manager for others. Those two trends, you know, the technology, the, the ability for anyone to create a company that could achieve um, large valuations and and without having had any previous leadership experience or any bona fides and no corporate experience to really train and learn how to do this correctly. And, and the, 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 the birth of, of instant celebrity, which happened in the early nineties, right. which only has gotten worse since we got, we went from reality TV now to, to YouTube superstars and Instagram right. Uh, superstars. Right. So I think that, uh, or TikTok stars now we have TikTok stars. So, so I think that, that that evolution happened over the last thirty years in media and in, in public life and then in management. You saw people, everyone jealous of these these startup people who were basically becoming millionaires and billionaires in, in less time than ever before. Meanwhile, you're working in a corporation, you're like, Well, I gotta get mine. Right? They're getting theirs, I gotta get mine. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, you're right though. Now that I think about it, you know, I mean, not the, don't get me wrong. You've, you had the Lee Iacocas and the Jack Welches and people have already have always said that like, you know, they are like, you know, the, the standard and building a business, but you know, you, when you think about to the, 
the Steve Jobs and the and the uh, the uh, the Zuckerbergs and the and the Bezos of the world, we really have gotten to a point where we definitely put those entrepreneurs uh, in, in the you know, and we look at them and we idolize them as like they're rock stars, you know. And, and I'm not saying that you know Lee Iacocca and 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 Jack Welch wasn't like considered like you know brilliant and and, and stuff in their time, but I don't think we treated them like rock stars. You know what I mean? No, no, you weren't. Being a CEO was not a was not a sexy job. Exactly. It's not a sexy job. It's not a sexy job today, but you get a lot of shine from it. So I think exactly. that I think that it's much more it's much more uh, attractive to be an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, right? Rather than than to you know, it became uncool to work for a company, right? Right. It cool to do your own thing, and that's why we see all these hyphenate people today. You know, writers slash actors slash designers slash <laughs> you get right. all the slashes, slash right. gamers slash stylists slash. So we're in, we're in the slash generation where everybody's trying to do everything versus really uh, investing and focusing on what they're truly brilliant at. Um, and just try and trying a million different ways to, to be famous right. and to be known versus, uh, you know, what's one of my mentors told me is you create meaning and then you create, you'll get money if you create meaning. Mm. So focus on creating meaning right? and the money will follow you. Don't, sure. don't focus on trying to create money because it, it, it will be that's temporary. Gotcha. No, I definitely understand that. Like, you know, we, we try to preach on this show a lot of times that like the, the money is the byproduct of the ultimate goal of like, whether it be serving your client base or leading your team or something like that. So, or meaning as you would say. So I definitely appreciate that Omar for sure. Once, exactly. No, for sure. For sure. We'll do a quick reset here. Once again, startup nation, we're talking to Omar, Omar L Harris, you know, author, leader, leadership coach, uh, as well, and also the author of the Servants Leader Manifesto. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you listen to the replay on the podcast. And also, if you want to check out uh, more about Omar and what he's doing and all the other resources he has, go to omarlharris.com. Uh, we have that link there in the show notes as well. So I wanted to ask you this. You have a quote in the book that says, quote, one of the defining traits of a servant leader at any organizational level is a clearly defined motive behind work to which they commit themselves and their teams end quote kind of dive into that a little bit kind of share some more commentary about that quote and and what you mean by that right well the 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 most powerful uh tool in the arsenal of serving leadership is purpose Mm -hmm. gotcha when you can define a purpose that connects everyone together and it's bigger than just sales and profits and numbers it's something that everybody can kind of tap into and everyone really believes that's when you begin to create that high level collaboration necessary to innovate and to drive higher level results in businesses. So, and, and the key thing is not only the, the vision and the purpose, but the belief behind it. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies have these beautiful million dollar vision statements, but they don't believe in them right. and because they don't really believe in them. There, there's a disconnect between what the CEO says and what's done on the ground. Wells Fargo is a great example of that. I and mean, they have a beautiful mission statement, but we saw what happened to them over $2 billion in fines in 2017 um, because the actual executive level branch of the company didn't believe in those words um, that they had put on the, put on the, in all the company documents and things of that nature. So I think that it's not enough just to have the purpose. You have to put the belief behind it and then put the energy into it. And as beliefs shift, you have to shift your purpose because there's nothing worse than having a a beautiful purpose that disconnected from the belief set of the employees that are working to put, to put that in practice. Right. So you have to, right. it's the, it's the hard work of a leader to keep everyone aligned to the overarching purpose, especially now when you think about crises like the pandemic and, of and things of this nature, when people are becoming more separated, you know, the glue is not going to be how nice of a leader you are. The glue is going to be, all right, guys, let's keep our, keep the eye on the prize. What is our purpose here? What are we trying to accomplish? Right. Um, right. A, good, a good example of that is the NBA teams going in the bubble mm. and the Lakers had the most mental toughness. They were able to keep their eye on the prize. They didn't lose focus over three months in that bubble. Right. They were the most mentally tough organization, which is why they left with the championship. Right. Um, in addition to having great talent, but right. they had to have the right mental fortitude uh, to survive that really tough environment. And they kept their, their, their mind and their eyes on the prize. And that's what several leaders are really great at doing is, is defining that purpose that, that, that keeps people unified and, and, and aligned and driving forward. Gotcha. You know, and that's a great example because we see, you know, not whether it be sports or even 
in in business teams, you're like you have a, an amazing wealth of talent, but that mental fortitude can like really put the kibosh on that whole you know kind of plan. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I think it was it was evident. I mean, in some of the teams uh, that didn't make it, who didn't do so well in the in that in that same environment, right? Um, and and it was it was really the the the, the divider between excellence and an average, right? Right, for sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. You have, now you have a chapter here: use influence and not authority. And you have a section where you talk about don't be a boss, be a Jedi. I'm curious about what are some of those Jedi traits that kind of uh, that work here, if you don't mind, Omar. So, so what I meant by that mm-hmm. is really um, when you think about how you know what leadership actually is. Leadership is hopefully influencing positive outcomes, right? And there's two ways to influence. You can direct, so I can tell you what to do, uh, and I can monitor you and micromanage you, or I can make you believe that the idea is yours, that you have the capability and capacity to make it happen and empower you to, get, to achieve those goals. So Jedis have the ability to influence whether they have uh, power or title or position or, or, or not. They have the, the innate ability just to make strong cases for change as opposed to not, they don't require the power of a title to get people to line up and, right. and, um, and do their best work. I gave an example in the book of when I was living in, in uh, Turkey and working for uh, a large uh, pharmaceutical company that had over 100,000 employees working on a global project, and the CEO basically had rejected the proposal to make an investment in a key piece of technology for the organization. Mm-hmm. And I was a you know veritable peon in that company at the time. Right. But I was able to make a strong enough case and argument, even at my level, that I influenced the CEO to spend $35 million on a project, which has transformed that company uh, heretofore. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to have title to have power. And that's gotcha. really the point that I was making with uh, be a Jedi, not a not a boss. Right. I, I think that's so important because I, I, so many times we see people who are so infatuated with the title so they can have, you know, a bigger salary, a bigger office and this and the other. Uh, And and it just reminds me that like, there are so many leaders out there who are, they're leaders in title, but only leaders in title only where they want the accolades, but not necessarily the responsibility that comes with leadership. Cause being a leader, I mean, without, you know, without kind of diving into it is, it's definitely a, uh, a huge responsibility that I don't think everybody kind of take heed to. Don't you think? I fully agree. I mean, and Gallup agrees with both of us. There's a big Gallup states that 89% of uh, people who were hired in the management are the wrong hires. Right. 89%. Wow. That's a 89%. lot. 89%. That's a lot, man. That's, that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. Thank I mean, you. We are, we are, we're fully missing. We're fully missing the mark when it comes to who gets to be managers, who gets to lead others. Um, we're still promoting the best individual contributors and not looking at the broader skill set. Right. Um, you know, it's just like very few NBA players have made great coaches. It's the same idea. Like just because you, Michael Jordan is, is, is was the greatest NBA player of all time. Mm-hmm. He's arguably one of the worst owners in the NBA. Right. 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 That's true. That's very true. And, and you know, and in that same vein, uh, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about uh, Wells Fargo. I know a lot about that situation because I used to work there during that time. So I know exactly. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I know exactly right. what you're talking about, you know, where, you know, I got in trouble many a days where they was trying to get us to do certain things. I was like, well, the customer doesn't need that. Like, yeah, it's great for my right. bottom line, but that's not what's best uh, for the customer. And I actually end up leaving. Exactly. I actually end up leaving based on that over that, uh, that issue. You. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. It's like, if we're, if we're there to service the customer, then this isn't in yep. the best interest of the customer. And so, and the crazy thing is that after all that, you know, after all that, you know, controversy and stuff like that, the manager who, uh, who kind of told me to kind of, you know, push, 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 you know, sales and stuff like that, they end up letting them go for that same thing. So there you go. Uh, just kind of crazy. But I will, I will works. say though, the thing that, the thing that disappoints me the most about that case is that the operational leader of the retail banking division of Wells Fargo, she she resigned with a hundred twenty four million dollars uh, golden <laughs> yeah. parachute after yeah. being proven to do the wrong things. Right. 
And that's just, so that, that's the kind of thing like, you know, we can't keep sending these mixed messages where you know, values are important, compliance is important, and yet you can do all the wrong things, defraud uh, millions of customers and still walk away with a gigantic uh, golden parachute as an incentive. So what, 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 you know, if I'm coming up behind that leader, what does that teach me? Okay, well, I can just, just don't get caught. Or, right. you, or even if I do get caught, I'm still going to get a gigantic paycheck. So it, it, it's really uh, abhorrent. The whole thing just really, uh, really upset me deeply, that case. All right, Startup Nation, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. we got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Check it out, Startup Nation. I know many of you are trying to improve your marketing performance, right? You have your business or your e-commerce store, and you're trying to increase that brand awareness. No worries. I got you. You should listen to the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. That's optimizing with an S and not a Z. It's a marketing podcast that will provide you with not only the latest tips and advice in the game, but also you will hear from experts in their field when it comes to email marketing, SEO, and more. This is a must-listen-to podcast for my e-commerce entrepreneurs. It's hosted by Chloe Thomas, who is a 15-year marketing expert, best-selling author, and award-winning podcast host. It's already a top-20 marketing podcast in seven countries, so clearly you're going to get amazing value every episode. So as you can see, Stoutermation, you're in good hands with my girl, CT. So listen and subscribe to the Keep Optimizing podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to get your favorite podcast. You can also get more information at keepoptimizing.com. The link is there in the show notes. Oralex powers this episode of The Startup Life. Startup Nation, as a podcaster, radio host, and business owner, I know a thing or two about the need for your message to come through clearly to your target audience. The last thing you want when trying to close a big deal over the phone or giving a sales presentation in your conference room is to have the person you are talking to be distracted by either the fact that you sound like you're in a warehouse or an outside noise like a fire truck. Trust me, Startup Nation. I know this all too well from experience. And that is why Oralex has your back. Oralex Acoustics creates professionally tested products that you can trust in a commercial space or at home. Better office acoustics improves intelligibility when video conferencing or generic conversation reduces stress and helps build a proactive work atmosphere. From a home studio for my content creators to your office space downtown, your gear performs better in an acoustically treated room. Trust me, you are in good hands with Oralex as they are the number one brand in acoustics, providing trusted solutions for over 40 years. Also, you can download the Oralex Acoustic Treatment mobile app in the Apple or Google Play Store to give you specifically designed and instantaneous recommendations for various room types. Go to Oralex.com and use the promo code STARTUP in all caps for 10% off your entire order. The link is there in the show notes if you are listening to the replay on the podcast. So if you are ready to stop sounding like you're having a sales meeting in a sports arena, go with Oralex. Professional audio made simple. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. Okay, Startup Nation, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Tresta. Tresta is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere. I know so many entrepreneurs that are still using their, their personal phone number for business calls. It can get complicated drawing the line between your personal and professional life. Startup Nation, this is the best business phone app out there. Whether you just need a business phone number or if your team is ready for a complete business phone system, Tresta is totally flexible and can grow with your business. And it's all unlimited. Calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself, all online avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system. 
which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more efficiently with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash startup life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A dot com forward slash startup life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Right now, that, that was, you know, like, like I said, like I was there, you know, because I had uh, just started as a, as a personal banker there. And, and the thing is, is that like they were just like, you know, you got to make this quota, make this quota. Like, yeah, that's fine. I, I get that. But this person doesn't need five savings accounts. It's only just them. Like, why am I giving them the other right. four? Like, right. one, you know, and, and so, right. and, and they would, they would like, honestly, like, you know, um, really like, you know, uh, make the case for it. Like no joke. Like maybe one is for a vacation and maybe this one is for college. And then maybe this one is for, for rainy days. And then maybe this one is for, I was like, come on, man, you're just stretching at this point. <laughs> you know right, I mean? right, right. You know, so exactly, so, exactly. So I, I definitely know what you're talking about. And, and in that same vein, I, I want to ask you about this because you talk about this section in your book in the chapter, uh, focus on your team, not individual talent. And you talk about the section about focusing on uh, powering your team. One of the things that uh, for me that often frustrates me with leadership. And, you know, and kind of keeping in the, the same sports vein, you know, I see a lot of times where in the like high school and, and college ranks of like particularly football, right, where we have coaches that that coach players up for what they need them to be right now, but not necessarily developing them to get to the next level and stuff like that. And we see that in business as well. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we're very, we're very short term oriented. Right. Unfortunately. Right. And, and we're, and we're short term oriented because we don't understand that this is not a business is not a winning and losing proposition. Right. It's about perpetuating business. Mm. Right. So, so I give an example in the book that, you know, uh, Ford has been making cars for a hundred years. I mean, 1920, came up with the Model T. And now in 2020, coming out with, you know, the next version of the e-hybrid, whatever cars coming out from Ford, right? So in those 100 years, if you're reading that, if you're focused on, on short-term, imagine trying to focus on satisfying shareholders for 544 quarters mm. versus trying to build a company that can last for 200 years. Right. Those are two very different uh, endpoints, right? Right. So when you define the right endpoint, everything else will follow from that definition of the right endpoint. So for me, you know, success is all. I never got into the short term mentality of of results. I knew that right. You know, uh, the right people plus right discipline plus right culture will drive results eventually. It may not happen tomorrow, but it will eventually drive uh, drive sustainable. And when the results come, they're going to be more sustainable. Right. Because we've done the hard work versus you know, I hate the phrase of putting lipstick on a pig and, you know, basically uh, uh, being more political and kind of showing that you're doing a great job when actually the fundamentals of your business are not are not there. So I think that I think that's really important for leaders to, to learn that you you can fight back. You can't stand back, stand up against these uh, these targets. Right. And you have a role in kind of saying, listen, being very clear where you when you disagree on the targets that are being set. Mm. Because a lot of times the targets are coming from people who are very, 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 very far away from the customer. To shareholders who are even further away from the customer. They're not looking at the actual business fundamentals and understanding what's driving uh, their success. And what's driving, and what are the key barriers they have to overcome. The only question to answer business is, where are we at today? Where do we want to be tomorrow? What are the barriers in between here and there? Where do we have to develop our capability to get there? And then aligning everybody behind that and moving forward. And maybe you hit the mark, maybe you missed the mark, but it's, it's bigger than numbers. Right. For sure. I, I definitely understand that. It's definitely bigger than numbers. And I want to go back to something you said about uh, Michael Jordan earlier. You talked about how he was a great, great basketball player, but not necessarily a great owner or or team exec, if you will, right? And, and so, and I remember, and this honestly can apply to 
business easily. I, I call it the Jordan complex, where it's kind of like, I'm not going to say mm. in a sense of like, not necessarily like everything came easy to Jordan, but it's kind of, it almost seemed kind of like, you know, okay, I did this. I worked this hard. Why aren't you getting it? Why aren't you whatever? And, and I see that in business where it's like, you know, we're coaching them up and coaching them up. It's like, why aren't you get it? I guess I'm asking like, you know, how as a leader, do you coach them up when you're getting frustrated with self because the subordinate or your team member is just not getting it? Well, I think that the, the, the leader must be the most patient, right? You Fair have to meet people where they are, not where you want to, not where you want them to be. Right. And everybody's not going to be where you want them to be. So you have to, you know, you have to do the hard work of understanding where everybody is on their journey for development right. and meet them where they are and then walk them forward to where, you know, baby steps to where you want them to get to. Um, you don't want to denigrate and kind of, you know, depress people by saying, listen, you know, you should be here today mm. when logically or obviously they're not going to be able to be there today. Like that's the worst thing you could do to, 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 to someone is to create a goalpost, which is impossible for right. them to achieve. Right? right now with the example of sports, I mean, I think, I think that you have these very highly talented and very capable individuals who work in enterprises. They do work very, very hard and they're very, very talented and they're very, very smart but they're only as good as the people around them are as well. Right. And so it's important for you as a leader to let that individual know your superstars on your team to get them involved in development of the team as well. It's not only your guy, it's that person's guy as well. You know, it's like when Jordan figured out that he had to begin to count on and trust his teammates, mm. you know, and that mm. made all the difference in terms of their, their championship runs. So you can you can use your top talented allies to help develop the team even faster. Uh, I love the scene in the movie Moneyball. I don't know if you see Moneyball, but yeah, uh, where uh, I basically um, uh, David Justice's character, the, the the general manager, goes to David Justice's character and says, "Listen, you know, I wa- I need your help in teaching up these guys. Mm-hmm. I'm a general manager. I create the culture and the structure, but you're playing on the field with these guys. Don't just be a great hitter." Don't just be a, a name and a face on the billboard. Actually invest in these guys. Invest in, these, in, in, in developing this team and being a real leader. Right. And he asked him to be a leader, and the guy steps up. And I think you need, we need to ask, we need to demand more of people than just being brilliant at a role or in a job. We need to demand them to develop as leaders as well, even if they don't have any line of authority. It's really more about them exhibiting leadership behaviors even from an early stage in their career. I hear that. I definitely hear that. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Omar Harris, the author of The Servant Leaders uh, Manifesto. Once again, if you want to check out that book, you might want to add this in your entrepreneurial toolkit for sure. Uh, We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. Now, I know, Omar, that you're a leadership coach and stuff like that, and people you know, bring you in to kind of speak and, and do some of that coaching, that one-on-one, that group speaking engagements and stuff like that. When they bring you in, man, like what's that? What, what's the, those like one to two things they like say, this is what I'm trying to fix, or this is what I would love for you to work on with my team or something like that. Kind of share those, share that with us a little bit. So, so the sweet spot of what I do, sweet spot of what I do is really to determine the degree of alignment between that stated purpose, that why of the organization and what's happening on the ground. Gotcha. So I work, I work with both levels. So I work with the senior leadership to understand kind of their definition of current state, what they're desiring to achieve and where, where they are today and what is the purpose. And, and then I go and confirm that and check that, that level of alignment with the lowest levels of the organization. So uh, agreement, understanding, and alignment. A lot of times people don't really understand the purpose statement. They are not aligned with that statement um, or they don't agree with that statement. Mm. And and how can you do the work if you don't agree, align, or understand what's happening, right? right. And I think that senior leaders take it for granted that just because I've spoken one time or did a town hall and I put up some pretty slides that everybody got the message and is on board. Mm. It's, it's, it's a job of constant communication and constant consistency to make that kind of alignment happen. So really what I'm being brought in to do is to, to tighten that alignment up and to either simplify the purpose or mission for the organization or improve the communication or improve the level, the man, how managers interpret and filter that message down to the people of the organization. So I work at different levels to make sure that that happens in, in a company. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And Star Nation, when you go to Omar Hale, OmarLHarris.com and check out that blog, you'll see uh, some very interesting blog posts. I'm kind of checking it out here. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about this leadership lessons from, you know, 2020 NBA finals and, you know, uh, some of the things that's going on uh, when we're talking about, I guess, the, the the election cycle that we're in right now. But you have one where you talk about leadership lessons from your mother, man. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Kind of kind of shine up your mom a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. My, sure. my mother um, passed passed away earlier this year oh, on I'm April sorry. 17th. I'm sorry to hear that. Of, uh, of cancer mm. um, at the age of at the age of sixty nine, but she she really was the one who taught me about self sacrifice and about serving others right from an early age. My mother was a uh, as I mentioned earlier was a uh, social worker for much of my life and then an early childhood educator. And in everything she did, my mother was just always so giving, right? She never asked for anything in return from anybody. She just was somebody who was always a, an ear on the phone for a friend or gotcha. a piece of advice for uh, a mother or a young woman who who uh, who was who were having difficulty uh, uh, being a single mother in, in, a, in, a, in a housing project or someone who was helping uh, a, a, a parents with a kid with developmental challenges gotcha. uh, to get the most out of their child. So my mother was just, she gave everything she had her entire life. Hmm. And I think that that was something that I took away from, 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 from my mother's you know, life is, is the need to life is about giving. It's about improving the lives of the people around you. Like if your life is great, but everyone's life around you is not, then you haven't done your job. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, and I think the other key message of my mother is, is just the resilience. My mom had a, had a tragic life in her early part of her life. And, hmm. She didn't let her current, she never allowed her circumstances to define her. Gotcha. She always kept her eyes on a bigger vision for herself and for her family. And she worked tirelessly to achieve it. So I think that I live with that example, which is it's not about short-term results. Like, and it's not about the current situation. You can always improve your conditions. You, you, you know, you, 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 you can define your life. You don't have to be defined by your experiences. And I think that, that's a really powerful lesson that I, I take from my mother as well. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Once again, my condolences uh, to you and your family about your mother. Man. Thank I you. appreciate you sharing that uh, for you. sure. Uh, I, I want to ask you this, man, because we, you know, we've been kind of talking sports. So why, why stop now? Um, but, you know, <laughs> when you're talking about the, the pandemic, if you will. Right. You know, and so a lot of shifting, a lot of transitioning, a lot of, you know, you know, moving and shaking and stuff like that, you know, kind of talk about, or if you don't mind rate, you know, in your opinion, like some of the different uh, uh, sports leagues on how they shifted and how they created, you know, were able to still kind of create sports in the era of COVID, because I imagine that took a lot of leadership acumen, had to take a lot of like negotiating a lot of, you know, uh, you know, servant leadership uh, if you will. So kind of rate those, you know, those plans a little bit, if you don't mind, in your opinion. So course. I think it's a great, I think I, I'll use two examples. Sure. Use NFL versus NBA. Sure. I, think, I think it's the most stark. I think those are the biggest sports and it's, 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 it's what people, most people follow and, and, and it's easy to create a contrast between the approaches. Gotcha. So the NBA views their players as the owners. So the NBA values the player in a different way than any other sports league. So the, the players in the NBA have a have a voice and a platform and power that we've not seen in any other sports league in recent the last 20, 30 years. Their ability to speak out and, the, and the, be encouraged to be themselves while being superstar athletes. You know, look at what LeBron James has done over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one saw that coming from LeBron James. And the guy coming from the high school to be this influential on social justice it's amazing right so right. so but he but he had but he had to have a league that was behind him a league that had evolved because that same league tried to suppress Allen Iverson for wearing for having tattoos and wearing hip-hop uh gear right very true but they evolved they right. evolved over time they didn't stay stuck in they didn't stay stuck in in one in one mode of, of opera, uh, operation they, they evolved as the generation of players evolved and as the sport evolved so I think that uh, and when it came time for COVID, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, first of all, he was the first commissioner in in, the, in sport to shut down the sport, mm-hmm. to recognize that something big was happening, even without all the evidence. So March 11th, he shut down basketball, right? 
Right. And he was also uh, very thoughtful about how they were going to reopen uh, the sport with uh, 22 teams coming to Orlando in the bubble, uh, the testing protocols, how the fact that they were in three months, there were no positive COVID cases in that bubble. Right. Of 7,700 people who were there, no one got COVID. Right. In that bubble. That's literally amazing. That's true. Um, when you think about the, the moment that we were in at that time and how he ever do that. But at the same time, he also leaned into social justice. It wasn't just about recouping money that was lost from advertisers and from ticket sales. It was also amplifying the voices of the players and giving them an opportunity to speak out on social justice issues as well. Because once again, the NBA sees the players as owners, as partners. Right. And, and it was important to the players, so it was important to Adam Silver. And whether you like it or not, whether you like Team Black Lives Matter on the court or not, whether you like the messages on the back of the jerseys or not, it's inspirational to see a business take on social justice so prominently. We've never seen that before, right? right. So I think that was, that was very inspiring. Now, if you go to the NFL, the NFL could have been the first of the social justice part. They could have done this four years ago just by embracing Colin Kaepernick. And they right. just embraced him. If Roger Goodell had embraced that and really um, uh, uh, tried to understand it and validate that, that, that protest from the beginning, the NFL would be in a very different place as it relates to social justice. But once again, remember that Roger Goodell works for the owners of the NFL. He did not see the player as his partner. Right. So his vantage point is very different. He doesn't look at Tom Brady as a partner. He looks at Tom Brady as an asset. Right. Right. And so that's the big difference between the NFL and the NBA is the perception of what the role of the players. And when it came time for COVID, it was all about money. It's all about revenue. And so clearly the NFL was not prepared to reopen. Because you see every single week, all these cases and right. games being postponed and rescheduled and all this stuff happening, which can't be good for the sport right. because, you know, Clearly, they don't have a good system in place, despite having a great example to learn from with the NBA bubble. And so, so you can see the difference, the stark difference between how you view your employees, do you view them as partners or view them as assets or numbers on the spreadsheet, and how you uh, uh, listen to and adhere to best practices. Do you, do you say, oh, we're the NFL, we're better than everyone else, we're not going to listen and watch the NBA example, we're going to do our own thing? Well, you're going to get in trouble because you're going to see what happens to your sport when when you don't take good examples and good guidance. I mean, if I were Roger Goodell, I would have been living in Adam Silver's office. Right. You got to be talking to him every day because, you know, the guy clearly had figured something out that was positive. Right. Right. If I'm being honest, man, like I, I don't think Roger Goodell should have been the only one living in Adam Silver's office because it seemed like through this whole thing, it seemed like the NBA has been a leader through all this. Like, honestly here in America for me, it's like things, the day that the NBA completely shut down, that's when it seemed like everybody is like, Oh, this is real. Like this ain't no choke. This ain't, you know, and that's when you started seeing municipalities and, and state government shutting down and, 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 and this, any other, and then even on that, then the social justice piece. And then after the NBA did the social justice piece, everybody will start kind of falling in line and stuff like that. So it's like the NBA seen as to me has seemed not only as a leader in the sports space, but just in society as a whole about as far as like working together, as far as like, you know, uh, being uh, not being fearful to stop. Right. Because people would probably put pressure on yeah. them not to stop and stuff like that. So that that's just my kind of take on it. What do you think? I, I, I agree. And they, and they showed an example of how you can get back to business safely. Right. They demonstrated a clear example of protocols that every business, if you want to get your employees back in the office, just follow the NBA bubble example. Right. There are protocols they had in place that clearly worked. 7,700 people. I mean, that this is hotel, uh, 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 a cleaning staff and room service people and uh, receptionists and, you know, uh, people working, you know, film crew and all these different people coming together, interacting for three months and not a single case of COVID. Right. I think it's like one of the most uh, globally, I don't think it's happened anywhere. So right. I think, I think that there's big lessons to be learned 
But um, when you, once again, you focus on ego versus versus humility, right? Big I facts. think that right. Roger Goodell, lack, he lacks humility. The NFL owner lacks humility. And that's why they won't go sit with, uh, with Adam Silver. Right. For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Once again, Startup Nation, we're actually wrapping up with Omar Harris, the author of The Servant Leaders Manifesto. And once again, if you want to pick up that book, uh, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast. Hey, Omar, man, what's your entrepreneurial superpower and why, man? My entrepreneurial, your entrepreneurial superpower. What's your entrepreneurial superpower? Oh, I think my entrepreneurial superpower is uh, is vision. So mm. I think that um, I'm really good at, at 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 basically making people see something that doesn't exist. Gotcha. So uh, really coming in and saying you're rallying people around uh, a vision of what, what we want to achieve, what we want to what we want to be, the principles behind what we're trying to do. And getting everyone to work towards that goal is one. I think my entrepreneurial superpower is is being able to to and then and then walking the talk every step of the way. Gotcha. But I think just the, the ability to help people see it, see the unseen, is is something that that I I, I think is uh is, has been very beneficial for me in my in my my journey. I heard that. I heard that. Thank you for sharing that. And you no, know, man, before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your insight. Uh, and value and content, man. I really, really appreciate it. I'm pretty sure Startup Nation appreciates it uh, as well. But now I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, man, because look, man, given everything that's going on, COVID, you know, everything else in between, there's a lot of people feeling down and discouraged, man. Give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today, if you don't mind. Sure, Will. I think that, first of all, um, we have to work on ourselves and work on our own mindset. And I, I talk about the book Leading with Love. And when, I, when, I, when we talk about leading with love, you have to leave yourself with love first. You have to give yourself what you need. So make sure you're giving yourself what you need every day, uh, Startup Nation. Make sure that you are um, you are getting the right nutrition, keeping yourself healthy as possible. Make sure you have uh, you're, you're, you're feeding your interests. So the things that spark your curiosity and your reading and consuming content is positive and uh, empowering and things that build you up. Make sure you stay connected with your people, your teams, your friends, your family. That always builds you up. It keeps you in a positive space. And and take care of your finances as well. I mean, financial love is very important. And make sure that you are, uh, you are even if you are in, in, in tough circumstances today, that you you have the ability to make sure you're you're taking care of the basics and and ensuring you have the ability to move forward and, and remain positive throughout that. Don't let that that drag you down. So I think that that loving yourself is the beginning of of being able to love others and lead others. And, and so I think yeah, that's my main takeaway for, for all of you listening on celebration today. I hear that awesome stuff. And that's going to wrap up this session of the startup life. Once again, we want to thank Omar Harris, author of the servant leaders uh, manifesto for coming on the show. Oh, I appreciate you, man. Thanks Dominic. Appreciate you too. Take no care. worries. I always thought of nation. If you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new Startup Blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, If you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.